0: Reluctantly, they gave me the money. Yeah. I did the movies, they wanted to see dailies. They saw the dailies, and I'm sitting there, and uh, they tell me, do you think that this will cut? I said, of course it will cut, it will cut like a knife. And they tell me, we don't think so. Never heard anything from them, nothing. Two years later, when the movie won, of course they came and said, oh, we're proud that we supported the movie like this. I That's all baloney, you know, it's all fake. This is an interview with Isaac Florentine.
1: Isaac is a director known for his work on the Power Rangers and WMAC Masters series and the Ninja and Undisputed films. He talks about his introduction to filmmaking in Israel, his love for martial arts, and how he continued to push the envelope as an action filmmaker. Oh, wow, look at that library. That's
0: All martial arts books. All martial art books. Yes. I started collecting in 1972. The first book I bought, this is a book that I spent my bar mitzvah money on. This book it was very rare to get it. Didn't even tell my parents that I got it. It cost me 75 liras. That was a lot of money. It's Masoyama. This is karate. Yeah, I yeah. So, and uh, yeah. yeah all martial arts. What's your favorite book? Uh, uh, my favorite book is uh, uh, in here is actually is Dynamic Karate of uh, Masatoshi Nakayama. Uh, it's a but, uh, book, but but it really gives a very nice overview about karate and it's very well done and I tell you what it was done. It's a story by itself. You know, in the 50s, the American Air Force wanted to uh, uh, take a look at the Japanese martial arts. And they didn't send a delegation to Japan. It was, uh, 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 the head of the delegation was a judo uh, a judoka called Mel Bruno. And uh, they came to Japan, they saw judo at the Kodokan, of course, the judo guy, they saw Aikido. They were supposed to go, and that's a story that Emil Farkas told me. Emil Farkas is a martial arts historian. They were supposed to go and saw Shito Yu karate in southern Japan. And then people in the Kodokan said, Why do you go all the way to uh, the south when in our old building, the old Kodokan, there's a karate group that took it over? It's the JKA. They call it the JKA, Japan Karate Association, Shotokan. And basically, they went to the JKA, met Nakayama, talked to him, and uh, a year later, they brought them to the States, uh, uh, Aikido people, Judo people, and uh, uh, Karate people. And this this is when uh, uh, Mel Bruno told uh, Nakayama, look, it's a fantastic uh, discipline and whatever, why don't you have something that is organized like a book that shows the, 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 the dynamics, the body, mom- body momentum, et cetera, because you had books before by Funakoshi and shokimotobu and Kenwa Mabuni, but it just shows the kata and gave some brief history. And he showed him some manual of uh, uh, the way that the Air Force had some self-defense manual, et cetera, uh, from World War II and later. And a couple of years later, Nakayama came up with dynamic karate that, the, the way it is organized and taught, it's according to the way that the Air Force was doing their manuals. Not so many people know that history. So that's one thing. Second, if not for uh, uh, Mel Bruno, you know, Shotokan is the most wide karate style in the world, right? But it happened by chance. Otherwise it would have been shitoryu because in the South, they wanted to go and see Shittoryu people. So look how history, as it's turned sometimes by fluke.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating, huh? And also how how interconnected the U.S. military is sometimes with even martial art history, right? No, there's more than that.
0: You know, karate, and, and I love karate because it's my discipline, and I've been doing it for over 50 years, and I love its history. But karate, mistakenly, people, we think that it's only from the Far East. Yeah, the roots are from Okinawa and previous to that from China until 1936. It was written called as To which means the China Hen, and until now, Tang So du is having that same original writing that was in 1936. And later it was changed in Okinawa to the MTN because they want to canonize it in Japan. But here is something that people don't know, and of course, before. China, it came from India, that's Dharma. But something that people don't know, all of the high kicks and the roundhouse kicks and the hook kicks came from karate from French Savat. If you look at the ori- original Chinese Kung Fu in, in, in uh, Okinawan karate, they had groin kick, front kick, side stamping kick, not side kick, but side stamping kick, uh, that's really it. And uh, 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 the fleshiness came from French that was very popular at the end of the 19th century. And uh, they uh, uh, did sidekicks and hook kicks and roundhouse kicks. It was entered into karate. Uh, and, And one of the reasons, again, in 1868, the first foreign delegation who came to teach in Japan, the military, were the French. After they lost to the German in 1870, 1871, they were kicked out. But uh, 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 when Karate arrived in Japan in the 20s, they were influenced by French Savat, especially the son of Gishin Funakoshi, Yoshitaka, yeah. and those kicks were added into Karate. Yeah. So we think that the Japanese yeah. and the Korean after embrace it, etc. No, they came from French Savat. So you said it was
1: 1868, so that's the beginning of the Meiji Restoration in Japan. Yes.
0: Yeah, but it arrived. Not karate. Karate arrived in Japan in 1921. Yeah, I see. How
1: much? How much of French Savat, then do you think came from? First of all, thank you, Isaac. Welcome. <laughs> thank you so pleasure, much. My pleasure. My pleasure. This is what a way to open it because uh, I read history all the time now, and so uh, I, I love that we started out like this. Do you? How much? How much of that French kicking? Savat came from you know French explorations through Southeast Asia as well or like
0: where did it come from? They say probably maybe I don't know I mean they uh, I mean but if you look at uh, yes probably uh, uh, French sailors arrived to uh, uh, Thailand and the Philippines and but if you look at uh, the kicks of uh, a sidekick they're not you don't see the same psychic in Muay Thai. The Muay Thai, they kick like a side tip, that it's a, like a twisted front kick. It's not like a sidekick. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's something that was kind of developing France. I mean, of course it was influenced by other, whatever they saw. But uh, in the 1800s really Joseph Charlemagne, the father, a, a, developed it and uh, later the military embraced it and that's and and later when karate was taught uh, uh, into uh, high schools in Okinawa from 1902 when they kind of came out of the surface so instead of teaching like the way it was before three, four, five students in a dojo, not even a dojo secretive dojo, they had to teach masses and if you look at old footage of photos of French sailors training at the turn of the 19th century. It's very similar to the way that they train Okinawan kids. And the French were doing also forms. And if you look at the Pinankatas or the Heian in Shotokan or Pyongan in uh, Tangsudu, I mean, it was how to teach a mass of people uh, some forms. So uh, there's a famous picture of Kensui Yabu teaching uh, like in a little pedestal, uh, like a little stage in, uh, at the Shuri Castle. And there's a lot of students there and he's demonstrating from the stage and everybody is doing it.
1: Amazing. The things that we don't really hear about. Um, I, did a, I did a breakdown on Bruce Lee and high kicking. And uh, one of the things that puzzled me was that high kicks had been around... They hadn't actually been around that long, (laughs) right? Like you said, this is pretty new. I mean, martial arts was weapons, right? Uh, And then once you had the introduction of high kicks, even then, nobody put them on camera. Almost never, until Bruce Lee started taking, you know, started meeting the guys in uh, America and putting those kicks
0: on camera. That's correct, yeah. Uh, Look, So the way, remember, I'm 64 now, an old guy. And when I started training, it was kind of a little bit just before the Bruce Lee days. And I can see, I can divide, there's a clear cut before Bruce Lee and after Bruce Lee. So let's go to what I said. Yes. I said that, let's say, the sidekick came to karate, from karate to taekwondo, uh, from Prince Savat. But if you look, I don't know how you started, how you learned it. Usually the basic was from a horse riding stance, either shikodachi or dachi. And then you step from the front, you chamber and you kick. And that's the way I was taught. And that's, it never works like this. Yeah. Yet in Japanese styles, once you canonize something, you never change it. Why was it canonized? If you look at the French Savard, they kick. From behind. I remember as a child training this kid before seeing Bruce Lee movies I never was it, it, I, it was not efficient then after seeing Bruce Lee movies I started changing it and kicking from behind and suddenly I mean 70s karate was all about sparring you know I started to uh, 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 like score with it hit with it you know. And I understood what was the reason years later for the mistake. I said that in Okinawan karate, you had side-stamping kick that is similar to side-kick, but it's not exactly because the hip is not fully extended and the step is really from the front in order to do it. I understand. So the Japanese took something that was meant to be for the knee, the kneecap, the knee area, and they brought it up. But it's a total different... uh, body mechanics, and they didn't adjust it. And until now, it's being taught like this, you know? Still. Not to be You see people sparring, they all do it from the back. Yeah. But when they do the basic, they do the step from, from the front. And it's kind of, if you don't use it like this, why do the basics in a way that you never use it, you know?
1: Is that the Japanese method? where, Like you said, when it's written in stone, you don't the Koreans,
0: change it? Koreans were the same. Koreans were the same. Remember, Taekwondo came from karate. Taekwondo was actually, I was with a uh, martial arts historian professor uh, Alex Bennett, uh, and he's teaching in uh, in Kobe in South Japan. And he was also, uh, was the head coach until, until now of Kendo uh, of the New Zealand team. and uh, And he's an authority. I was with him in Kyoto in 2013. I was with him in Kyoto in Japan. And we went to a, a, a restaurant in the Korean quarter there. And we were there. I was with my friend Don Warren, who is also a martial arts historian. And he told us, look, look at this place. This is really where Taekwondo started. It was Japanese, Korean soldiers and officers in the Japanese army. They were training Japanese karate, but they call it in Korean names, a, a, a et etc." Uh, And and this is where they used to develop it and train here. Later in 1955, uh, in Korea, they put it under one umbrella called Taekwondo. And it was changed to Taekwondo. Besides Tang Soo Do, that is really like Shotokan. Very similar. That kind of retained, retained its independence. When did you start training in martial arts? What was your first style? I started with Judo. The reason why I started with Judo, I always wanted to do karate. Remember I grew up in a country that had two and a half million people. It was a small country, Israel in the late 60s and uh, early 70s, small country surrounded by enemies, no people from the Far East. And karate for me, I heard first about karate in 1967. I saw a picture of somebody does a a flying sidekick. And I remember asking uh, my brother, my brother is eight years older than me. And he's uh, very new, he has a lot of general knowledge. And I came to him and asked him, can you really kill somebody with karate? Is that devastating? He told me, yes. Then came a James Bond movie, You Only lived Twice. I went and I saw it, and I saw it again and again, and again because of the karate scenes. And, and I was fascinating. I was fascinating. Uh, Then this Tokyo Circus came around 1969, 70 to Israel. Again, the only reason I went and I saw it a few times was because of the Karate demonstrations. It fascinated me. Uh, Then the Billy Jack movie came. Around 1971, I I, I wanted to do it. And my parents that were Holocaust survivors were totally dead set about me studying it. For them it was violence, it's like me asking to go in the boxing and I kind of was like a squeaky wheel and we came with a deal because I was a good student the deal was okay you you go and train but keep on playing guitar and until now I'm, I'm still play guitar and I so they didn't let me start with karate because karate then was for tough guys I had to start with judo so yeah. I started with judo and I trained judo for a few months and I drove everybody crazy. And at a certain point, they let me also start to training karate. And then I made a pact with myself. I said, because it was so hard for me to open that door. And I know it's an opportunity for me. I will never, ever, ever leave it. No matter what, I will never, ever leave it. Because you know, and I know sometimes you're too tired. It's too cold. It's too hot. You want to see a, a movie, you want to play. I don't know soccer, whatever. So many excuses why not to train. I say no. I go like a donkey goes into the well and drinks. I have to do it, and that's uh, that's basically it.
1: Was the sentiment that your parents had about violence the common sentiment at the time in Israel? I mean, you were you have the Six Days War around then this is not an easy time for
0: people. Uh,
1: What was the perception of violence for the average person?
0: Uh, They were not the average person because remember they were Holocaust survivors. So for them, everything physical. I used to come then, we didn't have mouthpiece. We didn't have a groin groin piece we had, but no mouthpiece, no no pads, no nothing. I used to come with swollen mouth, Uh, I mean, uh, the bones were blue and whatever. For me to eat a pickle or an orange without having pain in my lips, inside my mouth, it was a joy because it was always a little bit cracked. At a certain point, years later, when I already had a dojo, they of course changed their mind. But uh, 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 basically uh, for uh, the first few years, it was for them, Sometimes of something crazy that I wanted to do, and they went with it they did went with it they did they they, they, they they did go with it, and they let me do it, you know yeah, reluctantly, but they did
1: growing up in Israel at that time uh what what kind of what kind of movies and action films were you watching growing up
0: so remember at that time in Israel, there was really one TV station. And it was pretty bad. It was a state uh, TV station. The television started in Israel. The first broadcast was in 1968. And it was in black and white. And it was like one station. So uh, uh, people used to go, especially myself, to movies. Now, there was no concept of foreign movies in Israel because everything is a foreign movie. You see a movie with subtitles, so it doesn't matter if it's an Italian movie, Japanese movie, American movie, or French movie. It's all foreign movie, so you go if there is open minded, so you get a lot of exposure from many cultures. Uh, uh, my uh, love was, of course, action movies, World War Two movies but most of all Westerns. Not so much the American Westerns, more the Italian Westerns. And I didn't know the difference then. I just didn't know the difference, but I, I, I've noticed that there are some Westerns that are done in a way that is raw. You could see that they were lower budget, even though I'm a kid, I can see that they were lower budget. Most of them were shot in kind of similar, the same locations and I knew that they were low budget because they were in movies that used to show like Martinez, like not where studio movies went, but yeah. low budget movies went like, but I loved them because they were raw. And another thing that I liked them, they cut to the chase. There was no some kind of a love story that uh, they cut to the chase. And I, I remember I used to watch Jun Wayne and his movies. And I used to say, Is this fat guy that all the women are falling in love with him and the guy is old. (laughs) And why there's so much talking before you come to the action, you know, where you're the other Westerns, you cut straight to the action. So these were the Italian Westerns.
1: Italian Westerns also
0: uh, had much more, what would you say, grandiose sound design, I guess. Of course, sound. Until now, the way that the gunshots are being done, they're like they they're, they have like they're beefy, you know. Yeah, it's like a Winchester shooting, but it's a gun. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. You wonder that, why do you think
1: that is? Because I, whenever I've done, I've done some movies and I've hired Italian um, sound designers, and the sound is always it's always so big. Is there a what do you think that connection is there with
0: Italians and sound design? I think first sound design is like music, you know, talking about music there's no more I mean it's sort what I'm saying musical, I mean people than the Italians, you know, that's one thing. Second, uh, when you have not you don't have a lot in the screen, you have to uh, compensate it with something and it's the sound. Uh, and then, of course, you have directors like Sergio Leone, that for me is the master. And I mean, look at the opening of a Once Upon a Time in the West, you know, it's like three people are waiting for a train, you know, and nothing happens, but there's everything is in the sound, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's something
1: that I think is uh, sometimes in, in the American studio system, I don't know. Do you think sometimes that that's overlooked? Why do you think Americans don't American westerns didn't play that up as much? Was it just they were just too focused on realism
0: or what do you think that is? I think that the problem is the studio system that there is like a committee you don't have the freedom to do what you really want to do. Uh, and it's a matter of some kind of a tradition that started from let's say the twenties and thirties, and it continues in the sixties and seventies. And the Italian came probably totally raw. You know, there was no uh, no tradition, and because there is no knowledge of tradition, you can break tradition and do something uh, different. Yeah, for sure, that's what Sergio Leona did, and Sergio Corbucci, and I mean, some of the movies are overlooked. I mean, you look at like, take a movie like The the Great Silence, shot in the snow. Uh, the, the, the ending is totally bitter. The hero doesn't talk, he's mute. Uh, I mean, it's a, how can you make a Western like this? You know, even then it's like, wow, totally the opposite of uh, it's like 180 degree to the other side, you know, Klaus Kinski, the bad guy wins, you know, that's the unhappy ending, you know.
1: Did you prefer the, uh, the action in the Italian Westerns compared to the American Westerns?
0: Yes, because there was rawness into it.
1: Do you think that that was maybe some kind of self-imposed censorship on the part of America
0: where... They said that there was an unwritten code, like uh, not to shoot behind a gun, you know. Uh, that you shoot and somebody gets killed, and Sir Julian, with this fistful of fistful of dollar, he shot. He didn't know about it, and he shot behind the gun. You know, which makes sense.
1: Of course. So, as a as an American viewer, if what are they thinking that <laughs> if you don't show the gun in the same shot, then you're not going to associate
0: the gun with the, the death? I have no idea. I I, I don't know. I'm I'm just uh, telling you what I heard. That's fascinating. You decided
1: to make a movie in Israel in 1987, Farewell Terminator.
0: Yes. Can you talk about that? Sure. I went, uh... okay, when I was in the army, I was in the Israeli army. Mm. Now, because I was three years, but because I was a very little bit hyper, hyper kid or whatever, when I was four years old, I went through a glass door and a glass hit my right eye and I hardly see on my right eye. So when I was in the army, I was in a job that was a boring job because I couldn't hide a very low what is called army profile. So uh, you're you basically, you, they, call it, they said that you're limited. So I was in a unit that we were going to love seven guys and 23 girls, something like this, (laughs) exactly the opposite. And until now I had good connections with some of them, you know, with some of those uh, people in my unit. Uh, But the girls served for two years, the boys served for three years. The service for me was boring, 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 so much that in the third year, the girls said, just sit there, don't do anything, we'll do it. We know that you're suffering, kind of, okay. Uh, And and my conclusion after was, I have to do something that I really want to do. I know I have to go to university. My parents wanted me to be, of course, either a dentist or an accountant, a dentist because medicine is Israeli socialized, doctors don't make a lot of money, but dentist is private. (laughs) And for me, I said I want to. St- I, I mean, I want to study cinema. You know, mm-hmm. by then I had a source of income. I opened a dojo. I had a dojo then, and I was pretty established. So I went to film school, and uh, for one reason, I knew that after three years I want to come up with a movie. And remember, then you have to shoot in 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 film. It is 16 or 35, and it's expensive. It's not that. Today you can shoot everything on video, you know. And uh, I went uh, three years. I basically from the first, from day one, I knew that I want to do uh, action. I, I mean, that was from day one. And uh, I mean, all of the other students, everybody wants it to be either Fellini or Antonioni or Bergman uh, or Woody, I mean, like Woody Allen or and me, I wanted to do action movies and I did it in, in all of the shorts. There was always action. I always geared for it and I was looking and trying to learn new stuff. Anyway, I did a short. I, I started in 1985. I ended it in 1987. It was a 30-minute short. And uh, I put it in a festival. La- I was lucky. It was the last movie in the festival. That was after all day people saw either political movies or abstract movie or experimental movies or depressing movies. And after 12 hours, people were totally like kind of, I think depressed and suddenly came a movie that was punched them, kicked them and whatever, and they loved it. So the movie really took all the prices. And uh, that was Feral Terminator, you know, and, uh, that was the movie, it's kind of a futuristic action movie that was, you can see all of the influences of the Spaghetti Western. Uh, you can see I even also, also influence from Walter Hill, Sweets on Fire, I love that movie. And I, I love Walter as a director. And uh, But uh, that was the movie, that was uh, Farewell Terminator. When I finished it, when it won, everything that it won, I was married then. And I went and I saw uh, American Ninja. That was done. Now he's a good friend of mine, Sam Fistenberg, Shmulek Fistenberg, but he's also Israeli. And I remember coming out of the movie, I told my wife, you know something? I think I want to do movies like this and I think I can make it in doing this type of movies. Now, my wife was American who moved to Israel because she was very Zionistic. And she studied medicine there. She wanted to kill me. Now you want to go back to America. <laughs> she wanted to kill me. And after a year of Nojing, she said, okay, fine. Okay. And in 1988, we moved to uh, uh, Los Angeles uh, to try. Uh, I wanted to try my luck. That's basically the story. Okay
1: so i i I had a question so i I went to film school too i made an action movie there and i remember my teacher being so disappointed that i had made an action film because action films are so base and that i should have made an art film like she had and then maybe someday i could aspire to teaching a a very depressing film school course like she was but i wanted i i was the same way did you ever face any resistance doing action films and film school i was uh,
0: look You, at least in America, there is a respect for commercial cinema. I was, everybody that was studying with me had long hair, were like into artsy. I was the only one with relative short hair. Uh, I mean, totally grounded. I was a black sheep. I was, people were looking at me like, who's this guy, you know? It's like, (laughs) here, there is a respect for it, you're coming from a country that there is an antipathy for American movies because they're commercialistic, at least then in the early 80s, 1982. Uh, So absolutely, not not even this, when I came with the idea to do Feral Terminator, and I submitted a script, I remember the professor was reading the script like in a monotonous voice I was sitting and I had steam coming out of my ear I said nothing and then I submitted it in order to do it still university gives you something but you need money that will come from the Ministry of Culture and Education in Jerusalem because they're giving you something to, to finance it so I submitted the script and then I went there, they kind of uh, wanted to interview me. So I went there and the reaction and and the people that were in the committee, I mean, it's a socialistic run uh, system. Uh, The the people that were in the committee were some directors and movie critics, like from the mainstream. They were bashing me, they said, this is comics. You want to do comics? I said, yes. And basically they almost kicked me out out of the stairs. Then what happened, one of the professors that I had that was teaching script, he was doing movies that were totally artsy. He was was on a pedestal. People really thought amazing things about him. And he was open-minded. He said, guys, before, you, you, told, you told this guy, no, he doesn't do things that are like everybody else. Watch the very short movies that he does and then make a decision. And uh, they asked me to come and show uh, stuff that I did before in first, second and third year. And I showed them and kind of reluctantly, reluctantly they gave me the money. Mm-hmm. I did the movies they wanted to see dailies. They saw the dailies and I'm sitting there and uh, they tell me, do you think that this will cut? I said, of course it will cut, it will cut like a knife. And they tell me, we don't think so. Never heard anything from them, nothing. Two years later, when the movie won, of course they came and said, oh, we're proud that we supported the movie like this. <laughs> That's all baloney, you know, it's all fake. Yeah, It's all a bluff. It's all kind of, uh, so yeah. believe me, I, I understand what you uh, uh, passed. Remember, that was the only place then, no, there, there was another institute, but the only university that taught cinema in Israel was then Tel Aviv University. So believe me, I understand. And, and I'm sure it was not as bad as I passed, you know? But why do you think I moved to the States? I moved to the States not because I wanted to come here. I. I there was no industry really in Israel, and definitely not to do action movies. That's why I moved here. I mean, it's like, in the meanwhile, I fell in love with America and whatever, but the the, the reason was to try to do action movies, what is called B-movies. I never had dreams to come to the studio and whatever. I was always, I knew my place, okay?
1: Was your, uh, was your first movie uh, Desert Kickboxer?
0: Yes. How did that come about? So, okay, let's start with the short. When I won the price for the short, the person who gave me the price on the hand, it was like a nice uh, event in uh, Tel Aviv uh, Museum, whatever. Uh, the person who gave me the price was Ruth Golan. Her husband was Menachem Golan, the Menachem Golan who uh, created Canon Pictures. And really, if you think about it, it, created the Israeli movie Israeli movie industry. And, if you, and I came to the States in 88. I worked 89, 90 in some really low budget movies and whatever, I said PA, as maybe a little bit fight choreography, maybe a little bit second unit. But around 1990, 1991, one of my professors did a movie with Rob Lowe called the final he had to do some uh, additional shooting. And he wanted me to manage this uh, shoot. I was a manager. I'm pretty bad, but I managed to do it. And he did it for a Menachem's Golan company. It was not canon then, He closed it. He opened 21st century. And uh, this is how I met Gulan. and by then, When I came, I understood that I need a script. Remember, I came 88, 89, 90. It was when video was king. VHS was coming, and you could do any movies you want. So they say, you know. So I am not a writer, but I co-wrote two uh, scripts. One was a Western, and then I understood that I cannot do it. It's too much. I need something even lower and I wrote yeah. something that you could do for shoot budget and I met Golan I gave him that script by the uh, Inu farewell terminator and by then I also did 10 tapes of shitorio karate to Panther production remember Panther production they were doing martial arts instruction they were Joe Jennings company the first company that were doing it and uh, He saw 10 boxes with my face, video boxes, on on them. And he says, oh, somebody put some money on that guy. So, and he basically asked me, will it be a 90-minute movie? I said, yes. And he said, fine. And uh, I had 16 days to shoot it. And uh, I said, I'm going to finish it no matter what, on time and on budget, so they will not say... He cheated us. He lied to us. He's a crook. And no matter what, I'll finish it. And this is how this movie happened.
1: Shot that movie sixteen days.
0: Yeah, mainly in Vasquez
1: Rocks. I mean, you you had done action design in your uh, in your previous film. Um, you know, what was your process for coming up with fight scenes? Did you plan them beforehand? Did you write them out, or did you do them on the spot?
0: No, no, no. So this already in high school. I experimented, that was with super eight in a few, two, three movies like this, like it's very short. So the first movie, it was almost on the spot. Then I started to write the techniques. And by then already in the film school, I knew the angles and everything. I start and I know I, I, I'll shoot this. Like I basically did what is called added to camera because even when you shoot eight millimeter, you have only one Real. And you know, you have to finish everything in one reel. So I didn't say roll camera action. I used to say action and then roll the camera. (laughs) And then of course I used to say, okay, I'm going to shoot only this. That's all I need. So it teaches you unintuitive, I mean, kind of by, by 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 default, you know, to edit before you shoot. And but when I came, to the States, people told me, no, no, here we do master, you have to do a master. And I remember in desert uh, kickbox, I said, okay, let me learn and do kind of what uh, the industry works. Let's see how it works. And I did something I said, this sucks. It's absolutely crazy. By the third hit, they're not in, a, in, in, in the position for camera. It looks ugly. By the fourth hit, it's a miss. Why to waste film, you know? But this is the way that the industry worked then, you know? So uh, uh, then when I did Power Rangers, it was back to the days that you shoot, you edit before you shoot. And this is by the way I arrived to Power Rangers because they were shooting the first scene, the first season, and they were shooting master and coverage, even the fights, and it didn't work well and they were thinking to bring a, a team from Japan. And one of the producers, that's one of Ron Adari, a guy that I worked for him before, he said, No, no, I know this guy. He's a martial artist and he knows the uh, uh, Japanese style, Hong Kong style. Let's give him a chance. Let's see if it will not work. Let's bring the, uh, a Japanese team. And that's how I arrived to Power Rangers. You know? And I did a test, a scene that was a test fight, shoot like a Japanese. And uh, I remember Chaim Saban came and saw it and said, "Wow! Now I think that we'll have even a second season." We didn't know it would be a hit, but uh, we were shooting, you know. By
1: shooting on eight millimeter, and it's kind of like how a lot of us came up shooting on VHS, where the only way yes. you can see your movie is if you're editing it as you shoot it. It's sort of yes. like a sort of a natural way of editing, and, yes. and you you have to pre-plan things, which. I mean, is that how they taught you to shoot? Is that how they taught shooting in film school in Israel as well?
0: No, they really, they were more concentrating on theory than practicality, okay? Uh, They they just gave you the uh, stuff, go and shoot. And really, you have to be the one to decide what, what, how you shoot. For me, the best school, for me was uh, watching Sergio Leone movies, you know? I adore him, and uh, is the reason why I wanted to become a director. And uh, basically, I. Uh, but I mean, they were talking about the 180 and whatever. But until you go and you do it, you yeah. don't really understand, you know. Uh, and then once you understand it and you can manipulate it, you you understand that rules are there in order to be broken, but it will be broken on purpose, to emphasize something or to show something. Uh, so yeah, that's what it was.
1: When you're directing, so you were directing and you're doing the action design on Power Rangers, correct?
0: The first season, the first season. But after the second, then I left to do a Western. And they told me, you'll never come back to the series. We are upset that you left. And they brought, uh, Alpha Alpha I, I, they brought Jeff Pruitt, Jeff Pruitt came and, and Kuichi came. And I remember I, I spent a few days with Jeff, so he will see exactly how I'll do it, you know? And then uh, when I came back, when, when they brought me back, they brought me as now the main unit director that was all drama, really, even though I wanted to do some fighting. Sometimes I would say, please let me do it, you know? But uh, yes, that's uh, how it happened.
1: You, uh, you did a film called Savat
0: also. Yes, that was the Western. Yeah, that's the one that you went off and did. Okay. And it's based on a real character. I love history. And, and, and martial arts history fascinated me, especially Karate Asikitsen, because you see this perfection of movement. And you say, okay, what was the process? How it became so perfect that every strike is so accurate? That even the the, the 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 your ear is participating in the, the 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 strike. How did it happen? It it puzzled me, you know. So I started to dig into the history, and I also digged into. I found also Prince Savat, and one of the characters that I found out was, of course, Joseph Charlemagne. He was like the Gishin Nakoshi of Savat. And he was actually the teacher of Alexandre Dumas who wrote The Count of Monte Cristo and uh, The Three Musketeers*, and uh, and uh, even coined the, the famous phrase la femme. Uh, so he was his teacher. But I also found out that in 1865 he was a French officer in Mexico. Now, there are many spaghetti westerns that were done about the that time. That's the Juan, Benito Juarez Revolution. That's the time where Maximilian, the Austrian, the Habsburg, was in Mexico. It's the time that Napoleon III was staring the water in Mexico. And I remember some great Westerns, like the Big Gundam down was down in this uh, era. Two Multiful Sister Sarah was down in this, uh, uh, this uh, era. For the, I mean was done about this era and I said wow here's an opportunity 1865 that's the end of the Civil War let's do something about it and of course the model became shame. Here is a, an officer that is coming French officer coming to Texas from Mexico to Texas avenging his best friend that was killed by an Austrian officer uh, uh, that was Mark Singer, Olivia Gruner was the...
1: Because of Emperor Maximilian marrying yeah. his, the Mexican monarchy, yeah.
0: Exactly. And here's an opportunity to do it, and of course I bested it in Shane, and Ein Ziering from 90210 was uh, kind of uh, the, the 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 farmer. And uh, uh, I had also James Brown in the movie, and Arlie Army from Full Metal Jacket, and... Uh, uh, Ren Sauer, Ron Sauer's uh, father was in the movie. And uh, that was my second movie. And again, still I tried to do the movies uh, in a master because Olivier then did a few movies and that's the way that he wanted to work. He says, Isaac, I cannot remember. You have to please do a master for me. He said, fine. You want to do a master? We'll do a master and then we'll cover it. And I started with this. And then I think also he saw that the better way to go is to break it down. And uh, I had Kuichi playing there as like uh, an Indian, and uh, I brought the team from Paranges, I brought Eric Betts, he played the Brazilian, I brought he and He played the Chinese guy, you know. Uh, this is how the movie was done. And uh, I shot it in the Valuze ranch in uh, Santa Clarita. Uh, now I had 24 days. That was already wow, you know. So you had
1: Koichi there. Was he part yes. of the action action design process as well? And what did that collaboration look like? How did you guys come up with the scenes together?
0: So it, it was not really because what happened is he had a role there, he did his stuff. I mean, we did his stuff together, I well, so remember, you know. Then I did the stuff with Eric Betts because he was playing the Brazilian uh, Capoeira guy and the stuff with Ian and Olivia also wanted to be involved. And basically, you learn to collaborate in a way. And th- there is something, and you know it, about directing. And I call it the Machiavelli element in it. Mm-hmm. That you say yes to everybody, and then you kind of will them to do what you want to do.
1: <laughs> well, it, you know what it is too. I mean, when you have um, when you have a vision of the action, especially if you're able to formulate. The edit and the and the camera movements beforehand. Yeah, um, I find I find, and you've probably found this too, that the team starts to line up pretty quickly behind you because they, they see that there's
0: that there's a way. Your path, absolutely. Uh, and the, even the crew, they don't know nothing about martial arts. They see the results, and when there's a hard day, they will go the extra mile for you. You're absolutely right. You know. People don't understand that today, once let's say a stunt guy was somebody that will, tough guy will take some hits, will take some fall. They don't understand that everything changed. That it's, there are filmmakers today. That the biggest respect that I have and my number, I, I always try to bring the DP and the stunt or five choreographer, because these are my pillars and I trust them, not in 100%, but in 1,000%, you know? And and there are filmmakers today, I mean, especially with the all of sense of the previous, you know? First time that I got previous was in uh, 10 years ago, 2013, when uh, 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 Timan I came to uh, Thailand and he did, we did the Ninja Shadow of a Tear and it came with the previous and I'm looking at it and I think, you know you just did my job all I have to do is to copy it of course there will be some little changes but you just did my job you know I was like puzzled <laughs> so it's amazing it's amazing you know and and, and 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 what puzzles me more is that you have the Oscar for this and the Oscar for what about the Oscar for the stunt team, you know they're totally overlooked and we see it when we do action movies we see it you know but uh, I haven't I, seen
1: an Oscars in about 15 years do they still do I those?
0: I don't, <laughs> I don't watch television anymore to be honest you know but I, I, you you read you know it's like anyway I want to talk about WMAC, WMAC Masters though so this is how it happened uh, I was in Napti, that was, I think in Miami in 1994. And uh, Ian and Eric, I had the team with me and Bridget and uh, and Riley and Richard was there. I mean, the, the, the team was there. And uh, they came to me and said, look, there's a company that does a, a, a martial arts show. And uh, we saw what they did. It shot totally wrong. We told the producer, to, uh, uh, the producer wants to meet you. And they kind of slapped me there. So I'm going and I'm talking. I, I see what they did. It was some kind of a pilot. The choreography was good, but uh, the cameras were in the wrong angle. I'm talking to the producer. I sense that he understands what I'm talking. And uh, his name was Norman Grossfeld. And he tells me, you know something, Isaac? Uh, when I'll be in LA, he was uh, uh, in New York. I'll call you, we'll have lunch. And I said, sure, absolutely. And I am thinking to myself, oh, I saw this movie by now. I'm already six years in Hollywood. I know what's when I come to LA, we'll go to lunch. Yeah, right. Three weeks later, I get a phone call. And he says, Isaac, I'm in the lake. Can we meet? I said, sure. We met in the lake. He totally changed the format. He totally digested, dissected what I told him, came with totally something different. And I told him why. I liked the idea. And uh, he told me, "Okay, I will continue to develop it. I'll keep you posted." I then I left to do Sabbath. and he was kind of uh, uh, telling me, "I'm doing this. I'm doing that." I finished the movie or shooting the movie, and uh, we're meeting again. He says, "Look, I brought Brad Johnson in. The way that I want to do it is while you're prepping, he's shooting. While he's shooting, you prepping. He says, it's a great idea." And uh, this is how it happened. Now, uh, so I worked with Pet, so so and I have a lot of respect for Pet, you know, already from the karate days, you know. So uh, the idea that Norman want, wanted to do was, he told me I want the stuff to look real. I'm saying to myself, okay, too clear. I mean. He wanted this to be like WWE, and I told him it's imp- it's very hard to do it because it's martial arts. You have to be uh, to hide hits and misses, you know. And I was thinking, how do I do it? At that time, uh, by chance, my brother and his family came to visit from Israel. We flew to Vegas, and on the way to Vegas, I'm looking at uh, some monitors of video games that were like in the airport. And I'm looking at a game called Virtual Fighter. And I'm looking at Virtual Fighter and I'm glued to it because it was like shh, camera, one camera move. I'm saying, ah, okay, well, I have to design stuff that will be wonners. That's what I have to do. And that was for me the inspiration or the way that I wanted to do the fights in this show it's hard because if something misses we do everything again you know and you have to finish the day so anyway that was the inspiration for that show and this is how we shot I shot it now we did the first season and I was offered then to go and do Xena. Zina was, you know, was not there yet, they had a meeting with me, they were doing Hercules. And my mother passed away at that time. I said, I don't want to leave to New Zealand. Uh, my father came a little bit to visit us in LA. And my wife then was pregnant with the fourth kid, with our little one. So uh, I said, I don't want to leave. Now, WMEC Masters, we had another season, but WMEC Masters, in my opinion, came five, six, seven years too early. It preceded its time, it was not, I don't think that people were ready To uh, for this show. I think we did everything right. We had great talent, uh, the camera, uh, our cameraman was really good with fantastic producers. Uh, Norman and Kathy were amazing Uh, the 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 uh, atmosphere was camaraderie I mean it was like a big one big family it was amazing experience Uh, but I think it came uh, poorly sadly you know
1: yeah still holds up it's out there now if people want to see it because it's great. yeah, but it, it
0: didn't create an impact. Like Power Rangers mm-hmm. created an impact. WMEC uh, uh, in my opinion should have been much bigger than Power Rangers. It didn't.
1: Mm. I was wondering what your thoughts were about American cameramen and why it is that at that time, this is 1994, Rob Roy came out around the same time which has incredible camera work for its sword scenes. Why is it at that time then, as soon as somebody throws martial arts, why is it that Cameramen don't know what to do with that?
0: I think because the directors, uh, they don't understand about, uh, them, didn't understand about martial arts, didn't care about it. They left it at the end of the camera. I mean, I saw many producers that for them, a director was a conspiracy a conspiracy theory. You have the DP and you have the actors, what for? You need a director, you know? And... Uh, it was uh, just a mess. I mean, you saw martial arts movies, that had very good choreography and very good martial artists or artists, martial artists. It was a mess. It was, what are you doing? The camera is always in the wrong side. It's horrible. I mean, it's sort of glorifying the action. The, the action went down. I don't know. I, 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 I just don't know. They can shoot fist
1: fights just fine. All the Batman fight scenes from the old TV show, those fights are shot great. <laughs> you know? They're but it- very
0: simplistic. And, and, and when you do go and you do a martial art fight, it has to be a little bit more intricate. And, and 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 there's another thing. When you watch, let's say, Batman, you know the characters, it's a TV episode, but you know, and I know when you do a fight scene, the character development has to continue in the in, in the fight scene. It's not that. We tell the story, now we stop and we do a fight, now we turn to the story. No, it should be seamless and the character development should continue in the fight scene. You know, it, it's not a, it's not a stop, it's a continuation, you know, and people didn't get that. Now I think, now they get that, but then they didn't get that.
1: So when you have a script in front of you... I'm kind of jumping ahead now, but yeah, jump, you have a script, jump. In, a script in front of you that's a martial art movie. Um is the is the fight scene written out with character moments, or is that something that you're expected to fill in?
0: Sometimes, yes, sometimes no. You know, when I get a script, I don't look at the action, I look at the story because I know that the action will change, you know. Sometimes the action takes in a bridge, but there is no bridge, you'll shoot it, you'll shoot it, I don't know, on a train station. I have no idea, you know. It's like how is the story? How is the story? I think that any good movie, any good movie, if the story works without the action, then it's a good movie. It should, It's story and character. You know which movie I always give us an example? And for me, it's the best school of how to shoot action and what to do action and for action movies is singing in the rain. Singing in the rain. Even if you take all the song and dance, which are amazing, it will still be a good and funny movie. You have a song and dance and look at the way it is shot. When for me, the best example to explain to shoot a fight scene is Donald O'Connor when he does make them laugh, make them laugh. It's segmented from one segment, it goes to another segment, goes to another, it's a fight scene. Only there is no other side, or no hits and misses, but you see the way it's shut, segmented, you understand and the fact that geography is established, it's not overcutting. it's not you don't know, it's not who is on the left, who is in the right, what they're doing. everything is clear. That's why when I saw the stuff that you did, I loved it because you that's what you did. So. You know, it's like, whoa, okay, it was refreshing. It was funny. And it was done here. It was not done. It was not uh, like Jackie Chan or whatever. It was right here, you know. I, I find it
1: so fascinating that you, you came from shooting. but You came from being inspired by Sergio Leone. I came from being inspired by Jackie Chan and Samuel Hong. And our styles are so similar. <laughs> I was inspired by you as well. But it is almost that universal language.
0: It's a universal language. And and Jackie Chan was inspired by Buster Keaton. And I'm sure also Gene Kelly. I'm sure, you know. So uh, it's I think, yeah, that's you want to see geography. You don't want overcutting, especially when you have talent. Why to stop the camera, let them do what they can do best, you know, and the audience, maybe they don't know what's a cut or not a cut, but they feel it inside, you know, they understand it. Now there may be more sophisticated, but even they are not sophisticated, they understand when it's a cut and not a cut, you know.
1: I mean, some people have this have this idea that Hong Kong films and that even in the late 80s, that they use long, wide takes. And my argument is always like, well, no, actually, a lot of their shooting was fairly close. It's just the way that they put the shots together and the framing and the way that they the way that they seamlessly moved through the edit made you feel like it was one take. So as an audience, even as an average person you you did it yourself uh i was going to talk about high voltage it's very kind of john woo style action but it's you would go in close here's here's a hand here's a foot here's this and you can kind of piece it together as an audience and it's like this is i mean this is sort of a montage style filmmaking that's been around for 90 years
0: yeah remember that john Wu did a lot of kung fu movies before he became john woo and for me if you look at high voltage it's power rangers if you look at every every movie that I do, the action, it's Power Rangers. But Power Rangers is glossy, it's for kids. You rough it up for the adults. But if you look at the cinematic language, it is there because so many episodes that I shot, I used the, the, the fact that I'm doing an episode as a lab to do experiments and I voltage, it's interesting about iVolte, I told you that uh, Desert Oko was called Desert Kickboxer by HBO. And then uh, Savat, they, they call it the, 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 the fighter in the States. Please do a master, do a master. When I did I I, I said enough, that's it. And for, for this is where I really felt that from there, the style was established, you know? And I went that, you can call it Hong Kong style, but it's Power Rangers. I was there with Koichi, I mean, Kuichi in Alpha Stunt, you know? So, uh, yeah, there was gunplay. It was a little bit of a Western there, but absolutely. It, it gives it a feel of a John Woo movie because the baddies were the Vietnamese mafia. So that's why it gives it a, a, a feeling of a John Woo movie, you know? Did you ever watch any Jean-Paul Belmondo? Of course, I love Jean-Paul Belmondo. Oh, absolutely, I he grew is- up on those movies. I told you, I grew up on those movies with Belmondo and Alain Delon and Lino Ventura, uh, and the best comedian. My favorite actor is a French comedian Louis de Funès. Yeah, I love him. I love him so much. My parents said, yeah. "Don't go to his movies because you love so much. It's like..." Uh, it's it's amazing. Of course, I grew up on these movies. I love Belmondo. I was thinking about uh,
1: Rabbi Jacob, the the NC yes. Gumball Factory. It's just- Yes,
0: you know. yes, yes. And, and if you look at Belmondo, Jean-Paul Belmondo used to do his own stance. Either coming down, rappelling from a helicopter or moving from one car to another. He used to do his own stance in the sixties, you know? And he used to be a boxer. People are, they don't know that. So absolutely, I grew up on those movies.
1: Yeah, there's this other one he did called Up, Up to His Ears, 1965, and in uh, the way that they shoot the action in it is so sophisticated. It's it definitely from Rio. That's the one after that. It's a year after ah. the, that Man from Rio. That one too, though. Same,
0: same kind of movie, almost, it almost the same. That, movie. Uh, it was not Cartouche. A movie. It was about the French Revolution. No, 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 this one is in.
1: He's in Hong Kong. It's a modern day. He's in Hong Kong. It's 30 if you haven't seen it, it's incredible. It's, it's, you oh, know. Yeah, it's... Sure don't. It was like a 30 minute action scene in Hong Kong. Then he goes to Tibet. And then I can't remember it was I didn't did not, I don't know how? The the but like you know, that man from Rio is another fantastic yeah. one. And uh the the shooting style is sophisticated. It's like they they respect the movement. Yeah. Do you think that there's some legacy there? with Savat or in general, something going on there with French
0: filmmakers audience? I think that it came at the time of the new wave in France and there was a respect uh, for cinema and for, uh, I mean, I'm just, uh, it's from the top of my head. I don't know, but I think that there was, uh, once the new new wave started, there was, cinema became a little bit more innovative, you know? He was almost
1: at the head of that with breathless, wasn't ah, he?
0: Of course, of course. Yeah. Au yeah. body souffle in French. Au mm-hmm. body souffle. Yes. With all the jump cuts and uh,
1: yeah. Why, why do you think, why, where did that new wave come from in France? It was almost, what, 10,
0: 15 years after World War II. I'll tell you, in my opinion, it's only my opinion. And, and so so you know, where where I grew up, at home, my parents were Jews from Salonica, Greece. But the Jews of Salonica are descendants of the ones that were deported from Spain in 1492. And I still speak the old, they kept on speaking a 15th century Spanish dialect called judeo spanish or Ladino. But Ladino, ed- yeah. Yeah, but their education was French because... By the turn of the 19th century, all the Jews around the Mediterranean started to uh, uh, get a French uh, uh, education uh, uh, and all of the books at home were French. And why am I telling you all of this? The language that we spoke at home as a kid, the first language I spoke was French, even though I grew up in Israel. French, Ladino, then of course Hebrew. And when our parents didn't want my brother and I to understand, they spoke Greek. So... Uh, So I have this love of French movies, okay? Now, the French, many times they take something that is overlooked in America, and they put it on a pedestal. Let's say they did it with Jerry Lewis. People used to laugh at Jerry Lewis. In France, they think that he's a genius. Now, the same it was with the movies that were shot in 30s and 40s, like Casablanca and here, there used to be, there were B-movies. They were just B-movies because they didn't have a lot of equipment so they lit whatever had to be lit like the Maltese Falcon, etc. In the early 50s, the French took a look at them and said, no, 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 no. There is a style to it. Look, we call it film noir. Suddenly it is called film noir. The minute that you put it in French words, it sounds more respectable. So understanding and looking at stuff into it because in America they don't it's it's an industry they don't stop and analyze the industry continues the French they like sometimes to think or sometimes overthink about it and from looking at film and stuff into it that was done sometimes because of low budget they started to come with ideas and while America the industry was wow, the industry in glorified. They came with a, 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 a magazine called, not the chronicles of cinema, but the cinema, like the notebook of cinema. They kind of brought it down in order to brought it up uh, to make it more scholastic. And this really brought the, uh, uh, created what was the new way because the people that were the critics uh, became filmmakers themselves. Uh, so uh, that's uh, a, a kind of how it started. And I think it brought them to overthink about it and to come up with new ideas, you know? So uh, that's why you see movies like uh, Melville, you know, The Samurai, and I mean, it's like, uh,
1: it's fantastic. That's another one where yeah. very little action, but it's it's
0: such a yeah. beautiful uh, action film nonetheless. And 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 if you look about it, John Woo was inspired by, 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 by Melville. You know? He was inspired by them, you know? So uh, because when you are, it's not even an open-minded, you don't know when you're watching a movie with subtitles, you don't know if it's French or American or English or Italian. It's a movie for you, anyway. The, the language is the language you're reading the subtitles.
1: Thanks for the deep dive into history there. Um, I always wondered why, because I went, you know, I learned I learned about French cinema in film school. Um, the two years of film school, and again, they they loved French cinema there because it was so well. The films that they would show were very non-Hollywood. And then it wasn't yeah. until much later when actually Clayton told me about Belmondo, I realized yeah. that this entire... is
0: an entire. Yeah. He's like, phew. yeah. You have Alain Delon and Jean Paul Belmondo. He was my, my favorite. Belmondo was my favorite. You know? Yeah. yeah. I used to watch his movies. I was very much uh, inspired by him. And uh, yeah. Jacques
1: Tati also.
0: The comedies. But you know something, for me, it was more Louis de Finesse and Bourville. That thing for me sometimes was dry, but Louis de Finesse for me was it, you know. So you did another
1: Western, Cold Harvest. That was a futuristic Western, yes. Futuristic Western, very Power Rangers as well. And yeah. But Cold Harvest,
0: sure. that was, so that was the very first movie with uh, Millennium, New Image. And suddenly I had 30 days to shoot it. Wow, that was already, and I went to South Africa. And I told the company, because the convention was, the script was written by Frank Dietz. And the idea was comet, then into work and it's all dark and dusty. And f- every, the convention there was a futuristic movie will be like the fifties. That was the convention of doing movies then. And I said, no, 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 for me, the future, it will become a Spaghetti Western. And I told people at Millennium, I said, listen, it will be a Western. And they said, no, no, we understand that. And uh, they were talking, I said, do you understand it will be a Western? Yeah, yeah, we understand that. I'm going and I'm shooting the first week, only after a week of shooting, the dailies were, went to uh, LA, from South Africa to LA, I'm getting a phone call. I out off your mind you're doing a Western. I said, yeah, but I told it I'm doing a Western. Yeah, but we didn't understand that you meant literally to do a <laughs> Western. That's what we told you all the time. <laughs> that was called Harvest. They liked it in the end, though? Yes. Yeah. You know exactly, they, la- they liked it a lot. And I remember when DVD came, the first movie that they watched on DVD, they put it on a big screen in the office. And, and I see Avi, Avi Lerner and Danny Dean board, and they're sitting they're quiet and they're glued into the screen. And I'm saying, which movie are they looking? And I'm peeking in and they're looking at Gold Harvest. <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, that's great. All of your films have that very, that very purposeful shooting. You did that with Bridge of Dragons, US. Seals 2. And was anybody was anybody coming to you in the industry and saying, "Hey Isaac, um, we see that you're doing this. We should change that in the industry and do it like you." No, but the industry
0: cut- yeah, whoop. Well- for me, I was always an outsider in the industry. I'm not Hollywood. I lived in the valley. Family for me was the most important thing. I have an accent. I never went to the mainstream Hollywood. I never got uh, really a, 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 And until, until 1999, I didn't even know that people were watching my movies. In 1999, I'm getting a phone call from Koichi. And he tells me, Isaac, there's is a magazine that does a review and a, a review on a movie. And I said, probably it's a terrible review. And he tells me, no, it's actually a nice review. Uh, go to Barnes & Noble uh, that was in uh, Ventura in Sherman Oaks and you can get it there. I'm driving there, it's Impact Magazine. It's an English magazine. And this is how I finally realized that some people are watching my movies. It scared the hell out of me. (laughs) Because until then I thought that I'm totally just doing my stuff incognito, you know, like nobody cares and uh, No, I was never a part of the industry. I had some times with agents, but they they, they didn't last a lot. And until now I'm a total, total outsider. You know, Uh, it's a good thing, it's a bad thing. I don't know, at this point at my age, after so many years, I don't even care. But uh, nobody, I think that it started to influence stuff, let's say, when I did the uh, work with JJ and he worked with 8711, or uh, uh, it's the same. How come Alfastan, Kuichi, that the work is so important? They're overlooked. You know, uh, uh, Jeff Pruitt. I mean, he was right there, you know. It's like it kind of skipped a generation. And the generation now are way up there, you know, on the top. But it's kind of skipped, I guess, my generation. You know, nobody came, nobody cared, nobody. The only thing that I saw a reference is when I saw Kill Bill and I saw a reference that Tarantino was slightly winking and did stuff like stuff like whooshes and whatever. He was kind of, you can call him winking or laughing either at me or with me, you know. Sure, sure, <laughs> but this was years later, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean that's inspirational for a lot of us because you know, uh, I've been indie since the beginning. I never fit in. Um, I found sometimes maybe I don't know, maybe I had too many opinions. You know, there's a way that they do things in the industry that I don't. But know. we're doing
0: the same way. We shot in the same way that they do it now. We understand it. And if you think about it, we came from the trenches. However, I have to say, people that now are in the top, like uh, 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 talking about Chad and JJ, and uh, 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 they came from the trenches. They know
1: that, you know? Absolutely. They came from that same kind of furnace where, you know, you were working with Koichi and Alpha Stunts. Uh, they were in there as well at times, but a lot of what they did was that Hong Kong... I call it a spillover in the Hollywood yeah. after the handover. Did you, I mean, you worked with Andy Chang on and, and, um, yes. U.S. Seals. Uh, but yeah. what, I mean, what other interactions did you have with the Hong Kong
0: stunt guys coming over here? That's really, the, that's the only one. And I went, I, I met Andy because I wanted uh, Alpha Stunt to, uh, to, 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 to work with him on that field. But uh, they couldn't. And Tatsuro called me, or I saw him, Says Isaac. We're going to work with Andy Cheng. And Tatsuro tells you something, you're not tired. I said okay and this is how I met Andy and uh, it's totally different uh, uh, vibe to work with a Japanese team and Chinese uh, and uh, we got along in the beginning we were like arguing and then we got along really 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 well you know and he was an amazing hard worker because in the too, we had to divide the load. And it's funny. He didn't trust me that I know how to go fights. And I was, I knew that he came from Hong Kong. I wanted that he would match my style. And the first thing that he did, he did it with more And I told him, no, Andy, do it with more wide lenses. And he kind of did. At the end, we really trusted each other, and it went really well, you know. It's seamless. But the beginning was... Uh, a bit rough, but you see, and, and I, I'll never forget, Danny Lerner came, It uh, was the producer, he says, Isaac, I'm amazed by Andy Chang, how hard he's working, how dedicated, how, you know, it, it was amazing the way that uh, they did it, because that movie, uh, we had to run this movie with two units, you know, because the, the the load of action there, it's almost world-to-wall action, you know. And that movie was so ridiculous. The story is so ridiculous. I went, I'm going to totally go comic style, not realistic, you know. I exaggerated with the whooshes, but if you look at the action, it's pretty, it's pretty good action, you know. I mean, especially Sophia Crawford and Karen Kim and Michael Worth, you know, it's it's and, uh, uh, Mitch Gould. And Marshall Tigg, I mean, they're doing a lot of good stuff in there, you know. So you,
1: did you did you find that Andy sort of acclimated to your style, or do you think that Absolutely. the two of you were just going toward the same style anyway? I th- no,
0: I think I, 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 he, he kind of understood. I I understood what I I wanted to do because I chose this location. And said, okay, we're going to do again a western. In that, because it's all like. A, Dust, and uh, we shot it in some kind of a plant that was about to be destroyed, and it was all... Uh...
1: Yeah, because it has that Power Rangers feel.
0: I know what you mean. Of course, of course. Yeah, absolutely. It's a total comics movie, yes. But it's an hour into Power Rangers.
1: So was Special Forces the first time you worked with Scott, then? Yes.
0: Special was, Forces was the first time that I worked with Scott in 1999. I opened a company called Rising Sun Productions that was with my friend Don Warren, who came then from Canada. I knew of Don in the 70s because there was official karate magazine and he used to write about Canada. He was Canadian karate champion in 1971. He had schools and he was a karate bum just like me. We met by chance and uh, we opened basically a company together that the idea was to do instructional about martial arts. The, the reason why I wanted to do it was because honestly I wanted to see the best, to put him in video, but also to understand what what's behind their style. What do they do? And what I learned after so after years of doing it, that everybody is right. If you're good, you're good basically. Everybody goes climb to the same mountain in a different path and that I every mean, each one is taking some kind of a fragment of something and concentrate on it and it starts to work for him so there is no good and bad there are two types of martial arts high level and low level doesn't matter which style not style it's either high level or low level Anyway. During uh, uh, that time, we had an office and we used to get tapes, we used to submit tapes because they knew that I was there. And you had people from the martial arts that wanted to break into cinema, actors that want to break, uh, uh, also uh, to work with me. So you got a bunch of tapes, either you had people that were Martial artists who couldn't act, actors that couldn't do martial artists, martial artists that couldn't do martial arts, anything, okay. And uh, (laughs) at a certain point, I was tired of watching those tapes. One day I'm coming, I stopped. One day I'm coming, and Millennium also used to get VHS for me because they also sent it to Millennium. So one time I'm coming to the office one morning and Don tells me, Isaac, I got this tape from this guy from England. I think you should see him. And I don't know, maybe at that day I was grumpy. I said, don't, come on. I mean, I'm I not, not in the mood to watch it. We finished the day. I'm about to leave. And Tom said, I still think that you should see it. And I said, fine. He tells me it's this English guy. He said, fine. Put the VHS, put the tape. So he puts the tape, and it starts. And you see some... Like body shorts and whatever, so okay, it looks good. Uh, can he move? And he's doing martial arts, he says, Okay, he can do martial arts. Can he do theatrical martial arts? And then he's doing all of this tricking and else? saying, Oh, this guy is good. And some stunt stuff said, Oh, this guy is really good. Can he act? And then come scenes from BBC saying, wow, well, <laughs> there is no more drama from BBC. And I'm saying, wow, I'm calling the guy now. I'm leaving him a message on the phone. Listen, I didn't work with you. I don't know you, whatever. I saw your uh, tape. I'd like to find an opportunity to work together. At that time, we were developing a, a special forces. I took the tape. I went directly to a millennium I went to Boaz Davidson, who is for me my sensei when it comes to cinema. And uh, I told him, Boaz, you got to see this tape. Because uh, I told him, you know, Boaz, I'm getting tapes of people that want to get into movies. He says, are you telling me? There's a bunch of tapes here sitting here for you. I'm putting this tape. He had the same reaction, you know? He's like, uh, and, and he studied cinema in England. So he was like, well, the BBC since came, it was like totally said, so let's give him a role in special forces. And we tailored the role for him. And then we connected with him. And his manager then was a pain in the Tuches and did everything difficult so the deal will not happen. And Avi, remember one time Avi Lerner got pissed off. The first and only time that Avi yelled at me. I was sitting in this little square, tiny little square in Lithuania, in Vilnius. And Avi screaming at me, said, I'm going to scream, I'm going to shoot this movie. I don't want this headache. Uh, because the agent or the manager then gave them such, they say in Italian agita, aggravation. And uh, I came back to the office because I said, we don't have him. And usually then was a the, choreographer. Uh, And basically, uh, we're sure that we don't have it. Michael Flanagan, that was the producer, that was the first movie of Nick, he tells me, Isaac, you know, the director is not supposed to talk to the agent, to the manager, okay? I'm not looking, but the phone is on my desk. But I'm not looking. So I'm going to his desk, and the phone is there, and I'm calling the manager, and I tell him, look. Uh, I'm a man of my word. He says, no, I'm afraid that you guys will work him hard and will abuse him. I'm a man of my word. I will treat him really nice. I'm a nice guy. I'm not a gentleman. And he tells me, okay, let me talk to Scott. I'll call you within an hour. He calls after an hour and said, look, Scott really likes you. He really wants to work with you. And I'm but. So no, no, there's no but. is coming. Scott comes and says, listen, I came here to work, work me hard. And basically, it was amazing. And that that really manager was an obstacle for him. After, when I got Undisputed, the script, Scott told me, look, if I would get the role of Boyka, I would not sleep, I would train like crazy to become the character. For me, he told me that it was good. I trusted him. And I came And I said, I want this guy to play Boyka. And people looked at me like I'm out of my mind. Because Boyka is written as a guy that is huge, that is a brute. And look at Scott. Scott is an English guy, you know. He's 5'10", he's not that tall, doesn't look like a brute. And people were telling me, you are ruining your career you're doing a big mistake. Uh, the only person that told me you're the director, it's your decision, was Boss Davidson. And I, when Scott told me I will train like crazy, I had faith in him. I believed in him. And I flew to Bulgaria. I basically said, uh, because even Michael J. White was where he says, Isaac, I'm so totally so short. <clears throat> I told Gary, I said, make me a shoe with a platform of eight uh, centimeters, like three more than three inches. And uh, make sure that he will get a thick jacket and Michael will get a thin jacket. I told Scott, don't shave, don't cut your hair. We'll create a character. He came back, I sat with Scott and the makeup artist that I worked with her, a few times, name is Yvonne, he was a veteran. I worked with her in the very first movie in Bulgaria. She was already then a veteran. And we were trying to create the character. I said, put all off all of those tattoos. He was stamps with those tattoos so we can draw in his body. And we almost cut his hair. And we kind of almost cut all of his beard. And then he took some pieces of hair and put it like this. And this is how the character was born. That's basically how Scott Asboyka was born. And so you know, the first three weeks we didn't shoot any fights. We started shooting fights, only real fights with him, only at the third week. And I remember coming to the first day, first three weeks we shot exterior. We shot in the studio, we shot here, we shot there, or whatever. We came or we shot dramas. Now we're coming to the set that is the arena, the, 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 the ring. And the crew is tired. And uh, the crew is talking. And I said, Scott, show them a kick. And uh, and I remember Ross Clarkson, that was the DP, says, no, no, I know, I, he, shot my, I made, he was in Hong Kong. So said, no, I know, I don't need to see. I, know. I said, no, 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 Scott, please do a kick. So he's standing and he did a flip kick. Everybody was quiet. There was silence. Everybody then understood that we're going to do something different with something different with the fights. And it was you saw the energy coming back to the team. It was maybe the third week everybody is tired, but wow, they knew that it would be something different. The extras, they used to clap, they used to and when they cheer Boyka it was not out of because it's spontaneous it it was uh, spontaneously they did it you know so especially when we did also undisputed three when if wins the first the crowd was not even supposed to shout shoot Boyka they came with it you know Boyka and he went with it so anyway and I remember actors Mark Vanier used to stay So. It's a, Used to stay and watch How We Should The Fight and Ellie Dunker, because they were it, it was they enjoyed it just to watch the process, you know.
1: Did you guys do action on the spot for that one?
0: No. Oh, we knew exactly what are we were going to do. We rehearsed it, of course. In Undisputed Do JJ Perry came. This is when we came, we sat in the plane, and really it was really JJ's idea to come with ramping and everything. Then he showed it to 8711 and they did the same in 300. It was JJ's idea we said we kind of developed it in the plane we were, we were flying together you know and uh, uh, no everything was uh, rehearsed in advance and, and in Undisputed II it was JJ and Undisputed three, I needed somebody and JJ told me look there is Guy is super talented, he never got the chance, and he deserves to get a chance. Meet him, and I met Larnell. and Larnell came to my house and he showed me stuff that he just did in the gym, you know, in the like pre- kind of previous. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking and I say, Wow, this guy is super talented. How come he never got uh, a chance to do it, you know? And I remember I called Boaz says, We have our fight choreographer, we have, uh, and, and bosses says, But he's inexperienced. boss, trust me. He is the right guy. He did an amazing job, you know.
1: After you found the character for uh, Boyka with Scott, did you go back to the script and make any changes?
0: Usually, yes and no, because no, Scott, crea- usually when you choose an actor, the actor creates the character in his mood. You know, Michael did it, Michael J.Y. did it with George Chambers. Scott did it with Boyka, you know. But I knew, there's something that I knew. I knew. That the audience will like Boyka because we created the character that the character is mean and whatever, but his gut is as his own honesty within him. And there was a shot, and and Boaz was against it. There was a shot in the movie, Not Spirit Two, that Michael is tied in the snow with real snow. And we see Boyka looking at him and, and feels for him. Russell Matisse, the bad guy. I told him, yeah, but he's an honest guy. He's a bad guy, but he's honest between No, no, don't, don't, don't put it in the movie. Don't put it in the movie. And I kind of, I didn't put it on there because you know, there's always give and take, but I knew that the crowd will really like that character. And I was right. They loved Boyka, you know? Yeah. Because he's unapologetic. I mean, look, in America, the movie flopped, but outside in the third world there were hits, because the character of Boyka is totally, a total right character for the third world. He's in jail, but he doesn't feel pity of himself. He takes it with stride. It's Russian inmate that and, and, and he is very religious you know so it became very popular in South America in Africa in Arabic countries I used to get emails from people from Arabic countries you know Arab countries and saying yeah we know that you are Israeli and whatever we still have the movies and please keep on doing more and uh, uh, I have I was once in a favela in uh, Sao Paulo almost shot a the movie there, it never happened. And uh, it was the favela where they shot City of God. It's a dangerous favela. And I came there, with had a Brazilian producer, and they told me here, from here to the left, you can watch everything, from here to the right, nothing. And I'm looking for the left, it looks lame, for the right, it looks fantastic. He says, why can't I look here? It says, no, because this is where the mafia are distributing their drugs and whatever. I said, look, we're here, they know that we're here because, they gave us a kind of a green light to come there. Just tell him he's a stupid American director that wants to see it. And he kind of uh, walks down. He tells me, no chance. And he walks down out of the van. He comes after five minutes with a big smile. He said, you won't believe it. The head of the mafia is a fan of your movies. <laughs> so the head of the mafia comes, he's a young guy, and he knows my movies. He likes Boyka, he likes the DJ movies. And he told me like in Portuguese, whatever you want to see, it's yours, you know. The movie never happened there, but uh, anyway, that's what happened. Sounds like you have an invitation to go back whenever you want. (laughs) Yeah, we had the same thing in the gypsy village in Bulgaria, you know, same thing, so Scott, They, they, they don't know Scott, they know Boyka, you know. So I think that the persona of Boyka is... Like people know James and you know, Sean Connery, people know Boyka, more Boy, than they know the name Scott Adkins, you know, the same in Mexico. And I did a movie with Scott, the, uh, you know, in Mexico you shoot no permits in the street, whatever. The army came and they stopped and said, oh, which movie are you doing? Ooh. And uh, we said, this movie, who's the star? Ah, Boyka, you know, <laughs> that's how it was. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's kind of a, it is a unique character, because it's not something that you see in many American films, especially a a religious character like that.
0: But, but, there was a movie called The Big Gun Down, face to face, it was not the same character, and Run Man Run, same director, Sergio Suleiman, he was a bit uh, communist, but it doesn't matter, anyway. Uh, and he created the hero, Kuchio Thomas Millian. Doesn't even speak, he's totally, uh, uh, doesn't know how to read and write, doesn't use a gun, uses a knife, and totally a third world character. And as a kid, I love that character, you know? And Boyka for me was this kind of a character. So what I'm trying to say is, if you look at the Spaghetti Western, they created the first, call it third world hero, that later helped, if you look at history, the exploitation movies that were influenced by the Chinese movies, and later let Bruce Lee become a hero because already the world then was ready to accept somebody that is kind of non-cookie cutter of what you used to see. And Boyka is... A product of that, you know?
1: Makes you wonder if you could get away with doing a, a Russian hero like that today. I like to think that you could. He's an inmate, you know?
0: It's not... uh well,
1: he's human. And that's the thing that I think maybe uh, maybe people get a little bit too caught up sometimes in the identity is, of the
0: character rather than just who he is. There is no politics in my movies. We're just movies, you know? I'm not... Uh, because now that I don't have ideas uh, 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 or uh, views, of course I have, everybody has a view, but it's like you go to a, a room and everybody likes you, once you start to talk of politics, half of the people will become your really best friends enough <laughs> to dislike you, better to, that's basically it, you know. Shut the mouth and listen. We're doing. I do B movies. I do action movies. I I try that the character would be a character. uh, I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody really wants
1: politics in action movies anyway. Even though it happens,
0: absolutely absolutely not. Look, people used to say about the action movie that they are on the right side because usually it's a vigilante who takes the law into himself. But, uh, I mean, that's the type of action movie. The action movie, you take really either a simple person that has no choice and has to take the law into himself or a police officer that is operating. I mean, it's it's the, it's the genre. I mean, it's that's the genre, you know?
1: And those films will appeal to different persuasions through time. It's, you know, it's, Everybody. Exactly. Everybody
0: you, know?
1: you did a film with Scott and Jean-Claude Van Damme in 2008. Yeah, was, yeah. Um, What was what was the action design process to accommodate both of their styles?
0: That was a tough movie. First, it was the only movie that I did with a studio soon, and they were before I shot involved with everything that I did. Not when I shot. When I shot, they left me alone. But before in casting everything uh, so and even in editing I didn't do the final edit and because uh, I was not uh, in the DJ then uh, so the problem here was we had, JJ Perry was a fight choreographer and uh, Jean-Claude, I was there JJ was there and we had a fight that was established, I mean, we're scheduled to be shot for three days, four days, I think three days. And uh, just a fight. By the afternoon, Jean-Claude came to me and says, Isaac, I want you to cut a day in the fight. I want you to shorten it. And I said, I think you're doing a your mistake, but I'll do it. By the end of the second day, he comes to me and says, Isaac, I did a big mistake. <laughs> we should have not cut it. Assuming, yeah, but we already shot it. It's done, you know, because he understood. He told me Scott makes me look so good. So, so now, even by the end of the fight, I remember at the end of the fight, it was supposed to end in one way. Jean Claude didn't like it. Scott with, came with an idea, he didn't like it. And then I really got a little bit fed up and said, Fine, this is what you do. And I said, And I'm Moshe Diamond is there. And, so John jean give me a front kick. He, and he give me a front kick. And I moved, and I did a hook kick to his head. He says, this is that. this would be the final moment. That's it. And they liked it, you know. Uh, I did it first, he did it first. It looked. And Moshe was saying, says, I, I, I know that you, I knew that you were a karate guy, but first time I see you kind of uh, and This is how we tended, it just shows you it was, a little bit on this movie. On the other one hand, I have to tell you this. Jean-Claude never argued. I mean, did, and did some hard stuff in there, and especially being suspended over the pool on ropes, you know. He never complained. Uh, Moshe told me he never saw something uh, respecting a director uh, like he respected me. Now that... Sometimes we had a disagreement or whatever, but no, it was uh, it was a tough movie to shoot. I think that the schedule, the amount of days was not realistic. I was promised 32 days, and it was cut for 29 days. And you cannot fit 32 days in 29 days. You cannot do it. Something has to give. Sadly. So... Uh, even as a stuntman,
1: as an actor, sometimes you're you're a little bit worried that or concerned that somebody is who is also very talented is going to make you look bad. But the beauty of action cinema is that the better the other guy is, the better you
0: look. Of course, of course, absolutely. Look at Margot Zorro and Scott at the end of Andy Spirit three. I mean, look at for me Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris. You know. It's, uh, please, it's, you want to face somebody that looks amazing, you know? Look, I just finished a movie now, uh, Hellfire. Final uh, uh, fight scene is Steven Lang, who is 70 years old, fighting Johnny Young Bosch from the Power Rangers. Johnny made him look amazing. Stephen Lang, even though we had a rough schedule and it comes to Mrs. Isaac. I'm not the strong horse that I used to be once. I'm not that He did the majority of his stuff, you know, almost everything, almost everything, you know. He he was motivated from it and he looks good. So Johnny made him look good, you know, and he pushed him, you know. And he's a fantastic actor and he wants to do it, you know. That's huge. It was the same also with uh, uh, Antonio Banderas. I was going
1: to ask about that one.
0: Most of his, he wanted to do all of his stance, you know. I told him, look, you're jumping there. It's way far. No, no, I want to do it. But it's far, far. No, no, I want to do it. By tech 10, he kind of me. you're right. So <laughs> it's straight.
1: But I think your style works so well for that, too. Um, you didn't do the born style. And I, that was something when I saw,
0: when I first saw that. Yeah. I hated it. Everybody was like raving. I said, are you kidding me? That's the emperor's uh, uh, new clothes. It sucks. It sucks. Cut, 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 switch the 180. What, because Hollywood uh, uh, tells you that it's good. You're telling that it's true, uh, that it's good. It sucks. I got uh, nausea and headache from the mo- from, from the fights. The movie, yeah, the story, of course, it's based on books, but in uh, good actors, you know. But the the, the action, why? so many cuts in one motion and why you even okay keep the one out in the 80 why you even break it you know what the hell are you doing i mean what is that feedback loop
1: there where a film like born comes out born 1 2 and 3 they all have the same style and then you have all these other films that are copying it right a lot of films batman begins copies that's that style yeah. Yeah. is this is this like, does the audience say, oh, yeah, great. I, I like that action. And that's what the directors are listening to. And maybe, I
0: don't no, know. Maybe... I think, in my opinion, I think the movie did well. And everybody wants to copy something that did that succeeded. And they go for it. And, you know, sometimes in with a studio, it's a fed, you know. If I tell you today that the sky is orange, everybody will say, that they, and it made a lot of money, everybody will say the sky is orange. But the sky is blue. It's not orange, sometimes it's gray. But it, it's orange maybe when you do the sunset, you know, or sunrise.
1: Well, um, I and many others appreciate that you've stuck to the philosophy of showing rather than just conveying. <laughs> and it's uh it seems like it seems like Hollywood is finding its way uh in that sense. Although every now and then you still see a film where they they shake the camera and they try and hide
0: everything. But do it's you? It's an earthquake. You shake the camera. Yeah. Or if it's some kind of a bizarre dream that is a flashback, you would say you want to be bizarre, you know? Yeah. Like an yeah. actor. And
1: that is what the the Bourne films feel like when you when you watch the fights. It's almost like you post process the entire thing. You know it's like yeah. you have to you have to rethink the entire fight but do you have hope that you know the american action
0: industry is going in the right direction i have no idea i i i, I cannot tell you look i think because now like eighty seven eleven and people uh, that knows their stuff they're doing their stuff i think it's probably going in the right way you know so and it started. I remember seeing Casino Royale. Casino Royale. You see the opening and said, "Okay, that's good." You know. So, but it goes back. You watch the fight scene, and you only live twice. Uh, the, Sean Connery fighting the Sumo guy. It was the choreographer was Don Drager. Don Drager was a mover and a shaker in martial arts. Uh, 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 wrote many books in the sixties. You know. Not a karate guy, but yet any other arts, you know? And he was a fight choreographer in that movie and the consultant, you know? And you see it in the movie.
1: I have one last question, Isaac. Um, yeah. Do you see a place for... We, we didn't even really talk about karate, but do you see a place for karate in modern action films?
0: You remember the movie... Did you see uh, Kurohobi? Yeah. I loved it's, it. I didn't amazing. like the fun. Uh, you know what I loved in it? I love it because what they showed—they took basic techniques of karate, and they used basic techniques of karate, and uh, and they took two act two karate guys, and they made them into actors, and it worked. Naka from the J.K. is amazing, you know, both of them, and it worked. And 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 if you look at the techniques, it's simple, basic techniques. Yeah. So. I think it is, if it is done correctly, I think it will work. I think that it should have happened now. Karate Kid, for what it was it played in the, the story was that in the open circuit comes a kid that is taught by Okinawa in Karateka. But, then, but the thing is this, in order to do, A karate movie, you need karate people to play it because then the style is important because today many what people do, what they call screen fighting, it's a style by itself. There is karate elements, but it's not karate. There is Taekwondo elements, but it's not Taekwondo, etc. In order to do it, you really need karate guys, which I'll tell you something. In, in a story called Acts of Vengeance, there was a scene in the script that is fighting an old karate sensei. And uh, I told, uh, I shot it in Bulgaria, I told the guys, guys, find somebody that can play it, you know? And they came back to me that posteo and Timan. And they tell me, and, Teo, and I know the four years, says, listen, Isaac, we know you four years, you're a karate man. We can bring somebody, but it will not be a real Karateka. Knowing you, you'll get upset. And I said, so? He says, you have to do it. I said, no, I don't, i mean, experiencing it. I don't, uh, no, no, you have to do it. And they kind of convinced me to do it. And I did it. I was very nervous. And Antonio helped me and uh, I was nervous. But if you think about it, there is no, there hits and misses. It's all real Karate stuff that like dojo stuff you know fighting stuff that uh, so I kind of played myself but it was karate you know yeah, yeah. So maybe a little bit flamboyant for camera which it should be at a certain point but so of course you can do it you know and there are uh, 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 Richard Norton his background is karate, traditional karate, and you know, there are, of course, there are. Uh, but then again, it should be right for the story. If the story is around karate or the period, story or period, which means if you do a movie that happens in the 30s or 40s or 50s even early 60s, you can use karate as karate, you know? And you you can, you can, you can think of a story that will accommodate it. The beauty of Kurobi, it happens in the 30s. Happened in 1932, even though the opening still picture of the movie is a famous picture from 1936, doesn't matter. I know it because of a karate band, you know? No one else will know. Unless again you're really into the history of karate, remember it's so funny we started with history of karate, we ended up with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one thing that I'd like to say, and it's it's probably the last uh, yes. something, maybe. and the difference between real fighting and film fighting is real fighting you want maximum effect with minimum motion, and movie it's exactly the opposite. It's Maximum motion, you want to be, to oh the audience, but there is no effect because you don't, don't want no one to get hurt, you know. So it's exactly it's like a, like a coin, the other side of the coin, you know.
1: Isaac, thank you so much. Um, My pleasure. Appreciate your time. Uh, pleasure. and
0: pleasure.
1: Uh, I know, hope we think... work
0: together. I really that would be fantastic.
1: So- maybe we maybe we need to go to Japan and make a movie in Japan.
0: I don't know. I mean pretty tough. Anyway, let's get, get have a script. Yeah, let's get a script. Okay. Thank you so much.